All righty, let me just go ahead and get started because I, I did this message in 37 minutes in the first service. And I went over, but they're not mad. I'm not mad. Um, so here's this. Someone asked me this question, okay, and this is what they, they said. Byron, how do you relate to God? Okay, that was the question. How do you know God? What's your relationship like with Him? And at first, I was sort of like, what a religious... Stupid question. That's what I thought. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna take the time to even think about it. But it got in my mind, and I realized I couldn't answer the question right off the top of my head. I really couldn't. And so, I mean, I could give some Bible verses and stuff, but I really, I'm talking about really answering the question: is is what? How does my relationship with the Lord really work? And uh, so, I really thought about it. And I wound up going ahead and answering the guy, the question, and he had said he had been asking this question for months to people, okay, and had never got one answer from anybody. He thought it was a real answer, except me. I'm not bragging on me. Uh, you know, I didn't, I couldn't answer the question without thinking about it. That's a really good question. First of all, I would like for everybody in this room to ask themselves, because it really will cause you to have to search your heart about that. But one of the things, so that's what I'm going to talk to you today, is about how I relate to God. Okay, but I'm not. This is, I only bear tell you a little bit of this, but this is really important because, anyways, I think it's really important. Most preachers think what they say is really important. Okay, but lots of times it's really not. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's important to me. It may not be important to you. It's very important to me. Okay, so it's important. All righty. Uh, the Lord told me three things over the fall that we were to. As a church, our focus, we, have, we must have a focus as a church. We must have a focus. And God will clarify the focus. Here's the three things just to remind you. One, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Okay? That's one focus, number one. Number two, the presence, the very real manifest presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our midst. You know, the one thing that we're going to pursue is Him, His presence. And number three is real relationships. Real relationships with the Lord Himself, okay, and real relationships with each other, okay. That's where it gets tricky is, you know, relationships are really on God's heart right now. And one of the reasons I believe they are is I believe, I believe there's a harvest coming, okay. I really believe it. Uh, I was really heard something this week that really struck me. I was speaking with Bob Jones, and he said, you know, many of you may not know it, but in the 70s, Bob Jones died and went to heaven. And God sent him back to the earth and told him that there would be a harvest in the earth and that he would live to see this harvest. And uh, he's talking about billions, a billion people being saved. Well, that's, there's almost 7 billion now, I think, in the earth. That's a pretty big harvest. And he said, this is what he said. He said, I have stayed alive for that one thing. And he's almost died a few times since then. Literally, he would have died. He would have died if it wasn't been for that word. That word kept him alive. Uh, Arthur Burton, all of me, many of you know Arthur Burton. I don't know, how old is he now? 99 or something? He's 99 years old. He got a word forever back yonder. You know, 99 was a long time ago. That he would live to see this great harvest that God wants to bring in the earth. 
Okay, so there's a harvest that God is going to bring. I, I really believe that. I, I believe it's the truth. And I believe that God wants to shift us. But, and, but what God wants to do, I, I, this is what I believe. The body of Christ must truly become a body of Christ. There, there must be this, this, uh, this thing where the church rises up and becomes a person and not a bunch of individual people. We will, in, in a sense, we are, going to, we are going to have to give up our, our identities to become identified with something else that's greater than us. But the truth is, is if you'll do that, you'll, that's where you'll find a greater identity than you've ever had in your life. There's a greater identity for all of us that God wants to reveal to us. And many times the way we gain that greater identity is by identifying into something that God's doing, which brings us into our identity. Does that make, make sense? So, but in order to do that, there has to be these real, real and living relational connections with people. That's why I'm talking to you about relationships, okay? Because relationships make this thing work. Now, I want to talk, first of all, just briefly about relationships with people, with each other. Are you following me? This is going to be what I call the motivational speaker part of the message. That's what it felt like to me. Like, oh, I'm not on motivation. Well, 1 John 4.20 says, it's folly, this is my translation, it's folly to say that you love God and really you don't have relationships or you have bad relationships with other people. It's folly, what the Bible teaches. You can't, the two don't work, is what the Apostle John was trying to tell us. Those two are, they don't go together. You can't say you're a, you're a person who has this love relationship, this great relationship with God, and you have a, a string of broken relationships around you, or you don't have relationships. Okay, some people have broken a lot of broken relationships. Some people just don't have relationships. Okay? And so, you know, what God has been doing in my life for a long time now, because I was a person who did not know how to have relationships, honestly. And when I got married, I didn't know how to be a husband. I didn't know how to really... Oh, I knew how to court Becky. Okay? I was an expert on winning her. You know, but when, we, when it got time we got married and started living with each other, I didn't know how to live with her. I didn't know how to relate to her. And she helped me, and it was not always a pretty sight, <laughs> you know, in helping, because I'm, I'm on this journey. I'm not there. I'm not, as, as Arthur Burt said, I'm not claiming, but I am aiming. Amen? I'm not claiming, but I am aiming. Okay? So I'm learning how to have healthy relationships with people, okay, because that's critical. And I've discovered the more I have put energy into having healthy relationships with people, the better my life becomes and the more God can move and operate in my life. And so I've had to go through this process. One of the things I learned was the necessity of proper boundaries with everyone. There are boundaries, even in my closest relationship with a person, with Becky, she, there's boundaries I'm not allowed to, pa to, over, you know, to, to trespass on. And see, I've discovered this about boundaries. Boundaries create healthy relationships. Okay, they really do. If you have boundaries with people, then there's, there's understandings, and there's people, then we're not trespassing and walking all over each other and frustrating each other. Because what will happen without boundaries, people will begin to frustrate you. Because they're, they're stepping into parts of your life that you, they're not really, they don't have a right to be there, or you have just decided you didn't want them there. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. There's not many people getting into my bedroom at home. Right? I mean, I'll let a lot of people on my porch. I would probably let most people on my porch. 
But they ain't go, they, a lot of them are not coming in even in the door, you know, because they're like people who came uninvited and that I didn't really want. Do you see what I'm saying? So every relationship on earth, there must be boundaries. In, and as I've, learned, as I've learned about the boundary thing, it has created a lot of health in a lot of my relationships. Okay? It really has. Um, also, I'm learning about just being respectful and honoring to everybody. Everybody, everybody, listen, God, this is the way God lets it. God, everybody deserves respect in God's eyes. The, the person, the cashier, that you're frustrated because something didn't work right with you in the grocery store or wherever, that person deserves respect. They deserve respect. You know, and God really expects us to honor people and respect people, whether we agree with them or not. They deserve it. Now, we may say they don't deserve it because of things they did, but we're looking at it from God's perspective. And so that's really also helped me, you know, relationally to, to really relate. Another thing that, that, that's really helped me a lot is about changing people. We've told, you know, this has been one of our great things. Boy, take your medicine uh, in premarital counseling. Don't try to change that person. Because if you change, change them, you will create a person that you don't like, because you didn't marry them because of what you're trying to change them into. You married them because you loved who they were. You loved something about them. And then when you get married, you try to change them. And then you're going to find a person you don't love because you created somebody in your own marriage. Yeah. Come on. I'm telling you. Everybody should know about this. Uh, I'm, that's just the marital relationship. I'm just talking about, I used to try to change a lot of my friends. And I just, we would just butt heads, and I'd be frustrated. I realized it is not my job to change them. That's not my job. Not, my job is to change no one. That's God's job. Okay? And then I can determine, listen, I can determine my relationship with them based on who they are, based on how they are. Right? I can determine the boundaries in my life I need based on who they are. And so that way I'm not frustrated with, with them because they may be acting in ways that are irritating to me. Are y'all following that? Now, I tell you, if you begin to do that and you begin to cultivate that in your life, then you can become a person who has healthy relationships in your life. And God honors healthy relationships. I don't know how many people here don't read my dear people, but the one I just did on Joseph. Joseph, Joseph, had to, Joseph was, a, was a rotten brat. Okay, He was arrogant. He was blessed by his father, but he treated his brothers badly. And, and, and God had to teach Joseph because Joseph had a big responsibility. He had a great calling. God had to tr teach him how to treat people. He had to learn those lessons before he could ever come into all that God had for him. Otherwise, he would have never, you know, fulfilled his ministry. All relationships are built on three things. Communication, honesty, and trust. Communication, honesty, and trust. And so, in, in really communication and honesty go together. You, can, you can't have real communication without honesty. Okay? Now, a few years ago, uh, some of the leaders in our church uh, confronted me about my communications. All right, I'm communicating to you right now, but this means nothing. Okay? And when it really, it really comes down to it, I'm talking about communications in your daily lives. Okay? Not whether you can preach or teach or any of those kind of communication. Well, that's a different category. It's important, but this is more important. Here's, here's what their problem was. Byron, you sit there. We, we just talk about things. We decide things. So something's going on, and you don't say a word about it. And then one day you explode on us about it. 
You know what I'm talking about? Because you sit there and, and you wouldn't say, you wouldn't bring your forth your, your thoughts, your feelings in a, in a healthy way. You just pack them in and then you explode. And that's an unhealthy way of communicating. And I had to learn to begin to communicate what was going on inside of me. I began to learn to tell people what I thought. And I was never that kind of person because I never really wanted anybody to know what I thought. Because lots of times I didn't think things that everybody was going to like. So I kept them to myself. Uh, you know, you could ask <laughs> Philip back there or my other son, Aaron. I was real nice to my daughter because she was a girl for some reason. But them, they would do, just saying, they would do something. It would be irritating me. They'd keep doing it, and then I would just go off on them. It's like World War Three, And, like, nobody needs a daddy like that. You know, they need a daddy that will talk to them and express their hearts to them as, as you're living life. And so I began to learn to do that. I'm learning to do that still. But it's really helped. It's helped me. I think you could probably ask a lot of other, other leaders of ours. Uh, you know, I just go overboard. Well, I think I go overboard trying to communicate. I send them email. I'm telling them stuff I'm thinking all the time, constantly. But I'm not doing that for me. I'm doing that because I need to communicate. They need to know what's, what I think and what I'm feeling. Okay? And I feel stupid half the time doing it. I'll be honest with you. I feel foolish about a lot of things I, I do. But I realize this is necessary because this is communication. And for this church, that was one of the, the reasons I started writing those newsletters, or whatever you call them, those letters, Dear People Who Keep Company With God, is in my mind is I want to tell our church what I'm thinking. I want to give our church. I wasn't trying to develop a writing ministry. That was not in my mind. I'm not thinking about being a writer. That's not what I am. In fact, when I write stuff, I leave key words out because I don't need words like that. That's from the engineer world. Who needs that word? You don't need it. You're, we're trying to be efficient here. <laughs> Anyways, I, I have a writing ministry now. Though. It's, it's blossomed into that. I could probably do more if I really had time to. But that's just a byproduct of communicating. Are, are y'all following me? And this is what this means. If I can do that, it's not a, everybody in this room can do it. That's, I'm not saying anything about me. I'm saying... If you'll be intentional about communicating, you can become a tremendous communicator. And whatever level and whatever avenues that God's given you, if you're willing to work at it, because it takes effort to communicate. It takes humility to communicate. It takes being uh, persistent to communicate. I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I couldn't tell you how many times of those dear people just being like, there's been a hundred times when I thought, I'm quitting. I'm not doing so. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to think about this. I don't have time to wrestle with the English part of it. You know, because I'm not good with grammar and structure and stuff. I don't even want to waste my life doing that. I've thought that so many times. And so it takes, it takes something to be a communicator. But you're not going to have real relationships until you become a communicator. Until you begin to communicate what's in you and learn how to do it in a way that really is a, it builds people up. Because we know this, si the devil is in silence. The devil is in silence. If, if you quit communicating, you leave the devil, you give the devil a spot to talk. Right? In a relationship. I've had people tell me, it's Byron Nut I've had friends, we would never be friends if it wasn't for me. I have no clue what you're thinking. Because you never talk to me, you never tell me what's going on in your life. I'm the one pursuing the relationship. And it was a frustration to them. Because it made them feel rejected. That's the devil in silence. And that's why marriages fall down. There's a devil that gets into the silence. There's a... Anyways, I'm not trying to be a marriage counselor here. Because Lord bless them. My goodness. 
Okay. Ah. <laughs> that was my motivational speak on how to have how to be a communicator. If I, Byron Wicker, one of the worst communicators on the planet, can sit here and tell you that, imagine where you can go. Honestly, imagine what God can do with you. Just imagine, because I am not a good communicator. Wasn't anyway. Anyway, well, praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord so good, though? Let's talk about relationship with God. What I'm saying is, I've got to this place with having a relationship with God through learning how to have relationships with people. That having a healthy relationship and communication with people and boundaries and respecting and honoring people helped me in my relationship with God. It helped me to know God. It helped me to engage with God. Okay? Because of, of that First John 4.20 where you can't, you can't have a relationship with God and not have a relationship with people. It doesn't, you know, that's what John was saying. It's impossible. All righty. So let me read John. Uh, I'm gonna, I haven't even read a Bible verse to you. Now we're switching into the church message. Okay? Kind of. Are you all right? I'm tired now. Okay. This is awesome. We have said, oh, we're going to pursue, we're going to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean, practically? I mean, that's the question. Okay, Lord, that's what you're going to do. That's my focus. What does that mean, Lord? I mean, really, what does it really mean? I'm not talking about some uh, thought about a church service or a revival. What does it really mean for me? Every morning, Lord, I'm praying, please help my children to seek first the kingdom of God. What are they going to be seeking? What am I seeking? What does it really practically mean? Well, the Lord gave me this verse. This is a, a common verse, but it's so key. It says, the kingdom of God, First John, no, Romans 14, 7, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. That's really important. We'll get back to that just for a second. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's what the Bible says the kingdom of God is. It's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. We think the kingdom of God's healing. Right? Healing's the kingdom. Or miracles. The miracles are the kingdom. Or, let's get real spiritual, it's feeding the poor. We think that's the kingdom. Or really even real spiritual, God is sending me to, to, to Nairobi to be a missionary. We're real spiritual. We're real kids. Those are not the kingdom of God. Those are products of byproducts, outcomes. That's what happens when the kingdom shows up. But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is, is righteousness and peace and joy. That's what it says right there. And I'll, and I'll show you in another place there. And as we begin to pursue those things, all right, it, those things are in us. That's why Paul says it's not eating or drinking. Now, this is the relationship with the Lord part. It's not eating or drinking. Most Christians judge their race or gauge maybe, gauge. This is my measurement. This is my standard on how I determine my relationship with the Lord. This is what it is. It's what I do or don't do. That determines how close I am to God. Anybody in here? And you know what that has produced in people? It's produced a shallowness in people. And it's driven some people away from God because it's based on what you do and you don't do, not based on what the kingdom of God says, righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, which is a gift given to us. That's really important. That's really what I think a really key point in the church that we're missing. We're missing this thing that God has given us certain things. 
And if, if we'll pursue them, we don't pursue them from the outside in. We pursue them from the inside. If I pursue righteousness, being right, being right with His, His righteousness, I'm going to do right. But that's not my judgment. My judgment is, is my relationship with the Lord has to be based on His righteousness. Not mine. Are y'all following that? Now, this is foundational because I'm going to tell you something. This is where your relationship starts. And this is where the church, you know, sort of goes off, off the rails. Here, um, uh, I'm tired. Here, listen to this. I, I believe, Jesus, all right, let me just say this. Sometimes Jesus in the Bible says something. He doubles. He repeats himself. Like, for instance... Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, mind, and strength. That's a, that's a repetition right there. Soul and mind are the same. They're, they're, mind is included in soul. Why did he do that? There's a place in Hebrews where Paul says, well, God's going to write. He's going to write his laws on your heart and put them in your mind. And then a couple of chapters later, he's, well, whoever wrote Hebrews, I don't think it was Paul. Maybe Ben. It doesn't matter. The writer of Hebrews, this couple of chapters later, he said, he's going to write them in your mind and put them in your heart. So you're saying, well, which one is it? Yeah, why did you repeat yourself? Because Jesus, you know, verily, verily means this is really important. This is really important. Get this. And I think this is the way it is. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's, he's repeating himself. Because the, but the, just read it, the kingdom of God is, is righteousness. And, but Jesus will say, but make sure, double sure. One thing, Christians, we have to seek His righteousness. We have to pursue His righteousness for our righteousness. I'm really not good on, on this message yet, on this righteous message yet. But I do know, I'm good at it on the inside. I do know that. I do know that's a life-changing message. When we begin to see ourselves as a righteousness of Christ, apart from anything else. Now... Here's the thing, okay? Uh, well, let's just see. It's called the danger of religion, okay? The danger of religion. Here is, here's the danger of religion. Just like I didn't know how to be a, I had a problem in my relationships with Becky. I didn't know how to be a good husband. Nobody had ever taught me. Nobody had ever, I never saw it demonstrated. You know, the world I came from, that was not a thought, you know? None of them things were demonstrated or nobody even talked about how to do those things. I had to learn it. I had to cultivate it. I'm still learning it, you know. Same thing with God. We have to learn how to have a relationship with Him. It's not a natural thing. So here's what religion does. Religion tells us, I will give you a means to have a relationship with God. It's real easy. Yeah, it's a means. It's a method. It's really easy, it's real deceptive, but it's real powerful because when you begin to go after religion, you are going after people's relationship with the Lord. And that's where it becomes. A lot of these people who are sucked into religion, they think they're having a relationship with the Lord. So when you start messing with that religious thing around them, it becomes a big issue. They're not going, they're not going to take it kindly because you're tampering with something that's real vital to them, their relationship with the Lord. Do you all see that? And see, the church has, that's what the church has, has, has folded over to. Here's what's happening, okay, in our country, if you're interested about what's happening in the country. Uh, people are starting to become disinterested in the church in droves. Lots of people are leaving churches. A lot of people who are just, there are a lot of Christians. I mean, a lot of Christians who have disconnected totally from the church. 
I mean, they're just out there. They don't, they're not part of the church. They're out. They don't want to be a part. It was like I used to think when I was a young person, well, I love God, but I just don't love the people that hang around with Him. <laughs> That's the way I thought. I would really like to know this God that these people are talking about, but I just don't want to be around them, and I don't want to do it the way they're doing. And I think a lot of people have come to that. It seems like it's bad news. I don't think it's really bad news. I think it's good news. Now, what I've been, I've been studying these different polls that people take about, about Christianity in America. And this is what I've discovered. I've discovered if you go into the Christian world and look at their polls, which there are a lot of them out there, they are very concerned about the morals and the, the, the loss of attendance, all these things, and lack of participation in church. That's a big deal to them, and they're saying, this is bad, this is wrong. But if you go into the world and look at some of their polls about God and about, about Christianity, you find something else. The world has a different perspective on it. Okay? And I tend to believe what they're saying is more accurate than what the church is saying. Because I think the church is saying it because it's about the church. And they're missing something. We're missing something. When I say they, we're they. <laughs> hate to say we're they. Not really. I'm glad to be part of the church. But just let me read this to you. Uh, some Newsweek 2010 found that 91% of American adults claim a belief in God. Now, I realized right then when you, something just came into your, a lot of your minds, like, well... You know, you got this argument in your heart because of the way the society is. You know, and here's even another one that might be challenging you. Time magazine reported that 85% identify themselves as Christians. See, we have a problem with that because 85% of the people are not acting like Christians, right? Uh, Gallup poll reports that 73% of Americans are convinced that God exists. Okay? They're convinced that God exists. Now, here's what it is. Here's why I believe these people are right. Because that was my experience before I became a Christian. See, I would have been one of those poles. I was, from the time of my earliest memories, I was on a search for God. I can remember as a little boy looking for God because I knew there was something besides what I was seeing and what I was experiencing. I knew there was a God out there. Even in my worst place in life, when I was at my lowest, darkest, evil living time, I was still hungry for God. I was still looking for God. And see, it, I don't know when it started with you, but at some point it started with you. You started in your heart believing there's something more than what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. In fact, this is what I felt. Going to church as a kid, I never believed I could find God at the church. That was not a place where I believed I could discover this God that I knew was real. And it was because of what, it was because of this veneer that the church has created, okay, or a facade. You know what veneer, I looked up the meaning of veneer. You know what veneer is? This is terrible. This is what veneer is. Veneer is a superior thin piece of wood that's pasted onto an inferior piece of wood to make the inferior look superior. And I feel in my heart what God is trying to do is strip that veneer off of you and I. Because the church, we have, we have a veneer, we have a facade on us, okay, that's hindering us from really displaying really who God really is and, and really knowing God on that basic level. So there's these people out there, deep in their hearts, they may be rousing sinners, 
But deep in their heart, they're looking for this God. They're looking for this supernatural being that they know exists. But then they look at the people who claim to know this person and they don't see it because they're seeing the veneer. You hear what I'm saying? And what God is trying to... The silver lining and all this bad news about the American cultural Christianity, which I... Yeah, that's what we have. Is God is trying to pull that veneer off of us and get it back down to the real, the real, raw, ugly self us. Okay? The inferior us. Instead of having something, you know, you've seen these buildings from above that have facades on them. They look what? You stand in front of them. They look like this beautiful, magnificent building. And if you could go on top of it, you'd realize it's a fake the whole thing's a fake. That's not the building. The building's smaller. It's not got all this high rise. There's no build. There's no room up there. You ever seen that and thought that? So I discovered this. Uh, let me read this. To you. I love this. Okay, I'm hoping you do. <laughs> I want to make sure I read this uh, definition to you. Mystic. Y'all know what a mystic is? I discovered this about me. All my life, I've been a mystic. Because all my life, I believed in there was a spiritual reality. Now, I used to think mystics were like people who got burned at the crawl, you know, burned at the stake for having visions and saying you know, new revelations or getting thrown in prison or, you know... But this is what a mystic, this is a definition from the dictionary. I'm just trying to get you all to be mystics, okay? A mystic is someone who believes in the spiritual apprehensions of truth that is beyond their intellect. Yeah. When I read, I thought, I'm a mystic. I'm in. Finally, I've been wanting to be one forever. I, I would look at these people I consider mystics and say, oh, I wish I could be that. I wish I could be a mystic. I really wish you want, that's what I want to be, what I want to be. And it's like God saying, you're already that because that's what you believe. You believe there's something that you can lay hold on beyond your intellect. That's the veneer that we have on us in the church is we haven't seen that we're all a bunch of mystics. We're just a bunch of mystics. That's all we are. And I'm glad to be one. I've said yay. Don't you love that? <laughs> all right, this is what happens with people, okay? This is what happens with people. And their spiritual desire for God, this is what really happens to most people. There's two, at least two things. Is, is when, when bad things happen, they hit a wall. They hit a wall because in their mind, they don't believe God's going to show up for them. For whatever reason, they've been taught, God's not going to answer your prayers. Listen, I ran into this girl the other day, two girls, okay? Both of them come to the church. Well, one of them hadn't come, been in here a long time. And I was talking to him. So I asked the one who hadn't been. I said, where you been? How come you hadn't been coming to church? She said, oh, I'm allergic to the building. I looked down and said, you're not allergic to the building. Why haven't you been coming? She said, because I'm doing something else in my life and I don't want to stop. She was telling me she had fallen away and she was living in sin. And you know what I told her? I said, you don't have to stop. Just come back. Just come back. You don't have to stop. Because I don't, you don't have to qualify. You know, you're going to need to stop. I'm not saying, you, I didn't go through all that, but I'm, yeah, you need to stop sinning. You need to stop living a sinful lifestyle. 
But just come back. And let's, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to change you. Come, you're welcome back. God will take care of that in your life or, or He won't. You know what I'm saying? And see, God wants us to begin, begin to think like that. Because I'll tell you the truth, this is what happens to a person like that. that. That'll mean something to a person like that at some point in their life. At some point in their life, that will mean something. More than somebody telling them, you know, you're doing wrong, you know, you need to repent, you need to change. Well, somebody may need to tell them that. But there needs to be other people that says, you know, just come back. I said, just come back. You're welcome. And see, God wants us, us to do that. Here's another category of Christians, okay? Another category of Christians, a lot of you, me, is we hit our crisis points and we get disappointed because God doesn't come through the way we think He should. You see that? So there's one category of people who just don't believe that God's going to be there for them. For whatever reason, a lot of it has to do with bad theology about why would God, you know, why would God use me, right? How could God use me? Why would God use Have you heard that story? Why would God use me? You know? I had this one friend was telling me why God couldn't use him. And I said, well, God used a jackass in the Bible. So he can use you. Quit being such a jackass. Because <laughs> it's really not about what we do and all that. It's really about him. You know, and that doesn't mean that he's not going to correct those things, but he can do that. But see, correcting it is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of what we do out here. It's about letting that righteousness of Christ that's in us, seeking His righteousness. Right, do y'all hear that? When, you, when you're messed up, you don't try to get on the good, you know, I'm going to start acting better and do better. No, you start seeking His righteousness. And that will radically change your life. You begin to focus on His righteousness. That righteousness has been imparted to me. I'm righteous. I'm a righteous person. That's who I am. And I begin to agree with God. There's power in that because that's the kingdom of God coming forth in your life. Are you all with me on that? <clears throat> well, praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? Yes, sir. Yeah. All right, let me just finish with this. Are you all good? This is really good right here now. I'm going to tell you. I don't really, see, I don't really feel like just yet that I have enough unction in me on that righteousness thing. Okay? I know it in my heart. I know it's exactly a thousand times, a thousand times, a million truth. But there's a power that God wants to release through righteousness, through seeking righteousness, seeking first righteousness. When, we be, when it radically changes us. I, I believe it's coming. I believe that's what the world needs. I believe that's what the people out there need. They need to see. It's not a matter of getting your act together. It's a matter of receiving righteousness by faith. It's a matter of letting Him make you righteous. It's a matter of what He says to you. And, as, as they, if, and see, that's how the harvest is going to work, I believe. I really believe that God's going to give the church a great revelation on righteousness way beyond what we have where we can really begin to release that to the people in the world who need to hear. They need to hear it. And it's going to heal their lives because it's the kingdom. They have to heal their life. It has to. It, it's, it's, there's no other way. But it's not just, it's not just righteousness. It's, something, it's a couple other things. It's peace and joy also. Okay? Peace and joy. Now, I'm not telling you how I relate to God. I'm telling you that this is the foundations of your life that will help you relate to God. Relating to God is really important. I did figure out how I relate to God. 
Okay, I've got that figured out, but I'm not going. I don't want to share that, but I do want to share this with you because I love this. I really love this. It's John 20, verse 19, and down going down. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. Now this is right after this is after Jesus was you know crucified, and so they were afraid. For they were shut in for the fear of the Jews. In other words, this is what they were thinking: those guys killed the leader. They killed Jesus. I mean, they killed the man. I mean, what are they going to do when they get a hold of us? They saw what they did to Jesus. They were scared of them. They were very much afraid of these people. These people are not people you mess with. It's like messing with people in gangs. You don't want to mess with them. They're going to get you. They're going to hurt you. So you just start to steer clear of them. And they felt like these people, this gang of Jews, were after us. And they were going to get us. So they were scared. And then the Lord came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. He released the kingdom of God right there to them, right that moment. He released peace into their midst. Okay? And so God, and you see, that's, there's power. Let me tell you something. This is the way it works spiritually. There's, I don't, okay, I wish I knew more about this, and I really do, but there's a harmony, there's a harmonics in the spiritual realm of heaven. It's like a cadence or a beat or something. And, and actually that's how you hear God. Is you are in tune with His, in harmony with Him. Do you all know what I'm talking about? It's something you sense. You say, well, most of the time when you hear God speak to you, it's not that you're hearing a word. You're in harmony with something. And you can tell you're in harmony. Okay? It's not like you're hearing this voice whispering in your ear. You're actually hearing this harmony, this rhythm. Okay, that's happening, and yet suddenly you realize you're in rhythm with what they're doing, what, what heaven's doing. And that's what happens when God releases His peace, is then we can begin to tap into it, because you can't tap into it if you don't have peace. You can't, you can't catch the rhythm of heaven. You know, it's not because you don't have no peace. There's anxiety, there's worry, there's fretfulness. And so, you know, people need peace. They need it to be able to connect. That's why we say, Lord, I'm seeking first the kingdom. I'm seeking kingdom, the kingdom peace in me so I can be in rhythm with what heaven's saying and what heaven's doing. Otherwise, I'm going to be out of rhythm. You know, and you don't want to be a Christian that's out of rhythm with what God's doing. That's the a way I can, because that's sort of the way I... I I feel God. I sense this rhythm. And all of a sudden I feel like I'm in the rhythm. I'm flowing with this rhythm. But if I'm full of anxious thoughts, I realize they throw me out. They get me completely out of that rhythm. Are y'all following that? So one of the ways I'll tell you this, you know, you have to steal yourself to get, get into that flow. You know, you really do have to take, take some moments and be still so that flow, you can catch that flow. Otherwise, you won't, you won't catch it if you're busy all the time, if your mind's full all the time. And uh, how many people in here soak? Anybody soak? Raise your hand. Okay, please, other people, raise your hand next week. You should soak a little bit, as much as you can, much as you will. Because uh, that, that's the way you, you can sort of get dialed in to another rhythm. Because the, the rhythm of this world is anxiety, it's worry, it's those kinds of things. That's, that's what that rhythm is. That's how when you feel. Hey, let me just tell you this. I went to the, get a physical recently, okay? And uh, I was sitting in the doctor's waiting room, and I was reading emails on my iPhone. If you have one, you could do that. Mm-hmm. If you have one like Matthew, it doesn't even work when he claims he's going to use it to preach from. So, a droid. Don't get a droid. I'm sorry, Brian. It's just, you know. Anyways, I read an email, and when I read it, 
I was furious. Okay? And I went, and the girl, and right when, huh? I went back there, and she took my blood pressure, and she said, Oh, man, your blood pressure's really high. I said, no way, I never have high blood. I could feel it. I could feel my head. I could feel the blood pressure. You know how you feel when you're upset? I could feel all this stuff. She said, mm, that's not good. And it's really high. And, you know, I'm like, oh, gosh. I said, well, it's probably because, well, I tell you, it's probably because I'm nervous about being the doctor. No, not really. I'm mad. <laughs> that's what I told her. She said, you need to calm down. The doctor will take your, your blood pressure in a few minutes again to check it. So, you know, he went and did, you know how they do all this stuff. It, some of the stuff he didn't do before he did the blood pressure. You know, we don't want to go there. It's, God, please, I don't want to do this. Anyways, he took my blood pressure again. Oh, you it's Dr. Lou. Oh, you he's a Korean. Oh, you your, your blood pressure not that high? You, blood, you okay? Now, I don't know why she said your blood pressure was high. <laughs> your blood pressure's fine. <laughs> That's what he was saying to me. I said, well, I knew it was. I just had a bad moment there. But you see, when we're into that, it really knocks you out of that other rhythm. I'm telling you, it knocks you. There's another rhythm, and there's peace in that rhythm. And there's a flow in that rhythm that you can tap into. And your life is different. Even though you're circling, you, 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 you feel life, you feel something, you feel this thing flowing in you. And it's, and it's the voice of God. It's the rhythm of what the spiritual realm is, is, is doing. And that's how God creates us to do it. And I will tell you this. I know I'm off subject a little bit. I'll tell you this. I met a guy recently, and this is what this guy told me. He's talking about kingdom peace. He's talking about peace because he was saying, you need to really, really cultivate that peace in your life. He said, I've been spending a few years cultivating peace. And he says, I can do stuff twice as fast as anybody else. I said, what do you mean? He said, at work, people are amazed at how much work I get done. And I wasn't even recognizing it until people were saying, how do you do all this work? And he was like, I don't know how I do it. I don't know how I'm getting all this done. He said, I have a yard that takes 40 minutes to mow. That's what it takes to mow. He said, I can mow that lawn in 20 minutes. My son, he said, who is just as diligent and hardworking as me, it takes him 40 minutes. He said, I cannot explain to you naturally why I can do it in 20 minutes. There's no explanation. This is what he said. This is the reason. Because I've entered into a peace. I'm not, my life is not full of anxiety. My life is not full of stress. And because of this peace, everything I do, I can do better, and I can do quicker, and I can do more off. I'm thinking, man, we all need that. You know, because we only, all of us, that's why a lot of people can't get anything done. They're overwhelmed with stress or stressful thoughts. And so when we begin to seek first the kingdom of God, which is peace, our life can begin. To, that's why we need to seek it first. That's why Jesus said, seek it first. Everything's going to be okay if you got that peace. Okay. When he had said this, verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. Are you up for that peace thing? I'm, I'm in. When that guy was saying, this guy says, I've been, he said, you had, to, you had to cultivate it. You had to be intentional about it because there's a war, of course, against you. But you know what? We have a helmet. We have a helmet. Helmet of salvation. Helmet of hope that we can put on that protects our mind. And we have a breastplate that we can lay, that we, that's on us that protects our hearts. The two areas that, you know, where stress comes. Uh, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad uh, when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them, Peace be to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
that's the key for getting released into what God has for you is peace and joy. It says they were exceedingly glad. Listen, that is a bad translation. It means exceedingly joyful. Exceedingly joyful. They, now, here's the key. This is really great. They saw, they saw something. They touched something. Another, another uh, one of the other gospel writers talked about them touching Thomas, they saw something, they touched something that released them into this, okay? And what they saw is they saw, listen, this is great, the veneer. Listen, Jesus said, look, look at my inferior self. And he opened up his garment, and what they were looking at, it was a scarred up body. It says when he touches side, this is the truth. Have you thought about this? We think we saw them pictures of Jesus. And he has a little hole here, a little hole there, a little hole in his feet. That is not the way Jesus looked. Okay, they say those those uh, things they beat them on the cat nine tails when they hit their backs, it go around their sides, and when they pull it, because it had bones and rock, it would yank chunks of flesh. His inner his inward organs were exposed. That's how bad it was. Well, those scars are still on his body. And that's what he was showing them. Look at these scars. Look how ugly. Look how awful I look. Look at all of these scars. Put, you know, just put your hands and rub those scars. And it says it released. It did something to them. You see, this is the church. We've really got to see this. This can change our life. It's when we begin to see the Lord the way he really is. And we begin to feel him as he is, then we can get over worrying about what we look like on the outside and all that stuff because that's the thing that the world's going to be attracted to. They're not going to be attracted to some facade Jesus, okay, some facade body of Christ. They're going to be attracted to a body of Christ that is, that is carrying scars. And where they can put their hands on those scars, and when they put their hands on the scars, something happens to them. Now, that's really what the God wants us to do for us. I'll tell you this. I asked Angel if I could share this, or otherwise I wouldn't be saying it. On June the 9th, 2009, I was sitting on the hood of the police chief's car right outside of their old house. And inside was Matt, dead. And I was sitting there saying, Lord, I can't, I can't get my hands around this. I can't get my mind around this. I can't hold on to you. I can't. Something, Lord. I need something. And I felt, I felt something come on me. And this is what I felt. Can my beautiful wife, I can hold her. As I felt this hand wrap around me and, his, and this side come up me. And, my hand, and I was feeling this hand rubbing my back, this arm and hand. And it was a rough, rough, scarry arm rubbing my back. Okay? It was rough. And I felt this side, I felt this rough, scarred up body. I mean, it was, it was like it had been through a meat grinder and it had healed. And I felt it. And it got me through. It got me through that time. That's what got me through. The Lord holding me, but the Lord showing me His scar. See, here's what the problem is with people. People think, they're, i got a terrible past. i got a terrible past. i got a messed up past. i got this happened. i got that. What we need to do is see His past. And we begin to see His past. That's what the people in the world, they're going to need something big to get them out of that deep hole they're in. You know? But that, our little veneer of Christianity is not going to be the thing. It's not going to be. But it, that, that Christianity of like right here, hey, y'all are scared. Y'all are messed up. Take a look at this. 
And it said they were exceedingly, exceedingly joyful. And because of that, he says, now you can go as the Father sent me. I'm sending you because they saw and they embraced this inferior-looking person. That was his glory at that moment. That was his glory. And see, we have to know God like that. We have to know the God like that. And we have to make a decision that we are going to get the veneer off of us. We have to make that decision. We have to make that decision we're going to get the veneer off of us with each other. Or we'll never really be a real body of Christ that's really connected like that. And we've got to get that veneer off of us with God. Because... I told you all this before. If you got a mask on, well, let's use Tasha as the mask. Tasha, what an awesome minister you have. You're awesome. Look at what you're doing. Thank you. She goes home. She falls apart. Because guess just what got the blessing, the honor, the mask. She didn't get it. But when she takes that mask off and says she still has that need in her life to be affirmed, she has that need to be appreciated. But the mask gets it all. It gets all the appreciation. It gets all the affirmation because it's not the real you. It's the veneer. And when you get all that off, when somebody does it, it's like, oh, yeah, thank you, Lord. And you know what? When I get home, Jesus, you know, that was awesome. That's yours. That was awesome, wasn't it, Lord? I'm just passing it on to you. That was awesome, Lord. Because I'm fulfilled. I'm alive. Are y'all getting that? I think the scars. I think if I could say this today. Jesus Christ has an inferior body as far as the world's concerned. We need to revel in that inferiority. We need to revel. This is who we are. We're press boards. We're not like a nice piece of lumber. We're just press board. And we put stuff on us because we didn't like ourselves. And he's saying, let's get all that off. That's the cloud and the silver lining for the church. I'm convinced we need to make a commitment. We need to make a commitment to the Lord. I'm not going to be a veneer Christian. I'm not going to be a facade. We're not going to be that kind of church. We're going to get real. Lord, you're going to peel it off a piece at a time if you have to, you know, inch at a time, quarter inch, whatever it takes. But we're going to let you get it off of us, and we're going to be real, and this is going to be good because we, as, as he's peeling off, we're going to be in we're going to be seeing Him and embracing the real Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Isn't the Lord so good? That's why that song was so good, Andy. Can we do that? Are y'all okay? Becky says you're all right, so that means you are. (laughs) Well, I want you to ask the Lord about relating to Him, how you relate to Him. Okay? Really. How do you have a relationship with the Lord? How do you have a relationship with the Lord? How do you personally? How does how, what has God how what has God revealed to you about Himself? Because that's how you know Him. It's all about what He's revealed to you. You begin to try to answer that question between you and God. And as you begin to answer that question, you're going to discover how you know God. You're going to discover what's real in your life. That's the real in you. It's not all this other hogwash. Forget all that. Get rid of that. Get to the real. Get the real and start living from the real and then the other things will start coming for you the way the Lord wants to. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So you have everybody yourself, Andy? No, you got Rachel. Thank you, Lord. Ooh. And you got David Stein. Yes, sir.
there's anybody who needs prayer while we're doing this, uh, why don't we just stand up right now and thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the freedom, Lord, and being real. We just thank you. Let that freedom just come on us now. Mm. We can have ministry team people to come up to. If you need prayer for healing or if you just... Anything that you need, that you'd like prayer, we want to be here for you. Um, have people come up. and um, I just feel like people, there's some people in the room that really need some breakthrough. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Just invite you to come up and just receive from the Lord. So, Amen. Otherwise, we're just going to sing some, or you can be dismissed at your own, you know, whenever you feel like you want to leave. So be blessed today. We love you. We just pray that the Lord's presence will go with you. He'll give you peace. He'll give you joy. He'll give you greater revelation of living and walking in His righteousness. We just thank you, Lord. And we thank the Lord that Allison is home from Scotland. We just her and Kevin, thank you, Lord, for bringing some of our kids back home, Lord. Thank you. And uh, Larry and Cheryl home from uh, Argentina. So thank you, Lord, for family and relationships. Just be blessed. Thorns up.